Well, hey there. Welcome to Unshaken. I'm your host, Julie Van Warmer, and this is a podcast of the Women of the Word Ministry of Christ the Word Church. I'm so glad you're joining me today for our bonus episode of this season. On our last episode, we talked about how we all have a hunger. It's really important to know what to do with our hunger, right? Now, I'm not talking about what you're going to eat for lunch or what you're going to eat after dinner. I'm talking about a spiritual hunger, a hunger to be satisfied. Sometimes we develop good appetites and we find satisfaction in God's Word, in prayer, spending time with the Lord, meditating on His Word. But sometimes we develop wrong appetites and we try to fill this big void in our heart with things that only give us temporary satisfaction and often are like junk food, you know, empty calories. These are things that give us no real nourishment. All hunger demands some kind of satisfaction. So today we're going to listen to a pre-recorded talk that was given by Wendy Folk in the fall of 2020. And she's gonna walk us through how you and I can find satisfaction even in the midst of our trials. She's going to give us some really great practical advice and share a few personal stories of how God has walked her through learning to be satisfied only in Him. Okay, hey, let's just jump right in. I don't know if any of you are Hamilton musical fans, but if you've not If you're not familiar with the musical, there's a character named Angelica, and she sings a song to Alexander Hamilton, and she says to him, you will never be satisfied. Not only will he never be satisfied, but she also declares that she will never be satisfied without him in her life. When wrong appetites are chased, we will never be satisfied. When we're gorging on the bad, and filling up and not filling up with the good, we will never be satisfied. And what does all this dissatisfaction lead to? Jealousy, bitterness, anger, joylessness, a victimhood mentality. And perhaps it's this lack of satisfaction that is at the core of our nation's problems. The Black Lives Matters movement, feminism, the victimhood path, fear and panic about everything. Are you satisfied? As Angelica asked Alexander Hamilton, I ask of us, will you ever be satisfied? So we established in the last talk that we were made to hunger. And this hunger may develop good or wrong or insatiable appetites, but all appetites demand satisfaction. And our appetites demand satisfaction because we are made in the image of our Father, and even God had to be satisfied. When Jesus Christ became the propitiation for our sins, he satisfied God's wrath against our sins. And we stand now in Christ's righteousness alone before our Heavenly Father. And because of his perfect sacrifice and righteousness, we are now presented as holy 
and blameless and above reproach in our Father's sight. God is satisfied through Jesus' perfect work. Are you satisfied in Jesus' work? Or are you demanding more than what God is? What will satisfy you if Jesus doesn't? You know, I read about a pastor who lived in a persecuted country, and he was thrown into solitary confinement for over a year because of his faith in Christ. And day after day, he crouched down in that tiny little cell, and he didn't have any light, he didn't have any sound, he didn't have any human companionship. And when he was finally released from prison, his body was weak, but his face was glowing. And his Christian friends asked him, what was it like? How did you survive? And that frail pastor joyfully proclaimed, it was like a dream come true. I was completely fulfilled in the presence of Jesus. Do you understand that kind of joy? If we were to have all of our comforts and all of our loved ones taken away, could we say that we are satisfied in Christ alone? Maybe it just takes a glimpse back at quarantine life to see how we might really respond to that. I know as Christ followers or as good Sunday school students, we want to say, oh, of course I would be satisfied like that imprisoned pastor. But in all reality, could you be satisfied in Christ alone if your adult child were to leave home and never come back again? Or if God would, would see fit that you became a widow at this stage of your life? Or if everything that you worked for in your ministries or in your job were to just be taken away from you? Could you be satisfied in Christ alone? You know, trials often reveal where we've been filling ourselves up. So if we've been filling ourselves up with people or with things that don't actually satisfy, then trials are going to boil this to the surface. And of course, we're called to love and devote ourselves to our husbands and our children. And of course, we're called to work heartily as to the Lord. But none of these people or things are meant to fill us up. Our families, our jobs, our church, all of these things could be taken away. But Christ remains. And there's no real satisfaction unless we're fully satisfied in Christ. J.C. Ryle says this, I have all and abound. I want nothing more. Christ dying for me on the cross. Christ ever interceding for me at God's right hand. Christ dwelling in my faith, or dwelling in my heart by faith. Christ soon coming again to gather me and all his people together to part no more. Christ is enough for me. Having Christ, I have unsearchable riches. So if you're like me, I can have all the best intentions in the world. I want to follow Jesus, and I want to be fully satisfied in him. But I need help. 
I need somebody who's been, you know, further along the journey than me. I need an example. And guess what? God is so kind. He is so faithful. And he has provided us an example. In 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul tells us this in verse 11. Now, all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon, the end, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So I want us to back up a little bit in that chapter to understand what all these things are and why there are examples. So in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 10, we have the exodus of the enslaved Israelites condensed. God is kindly reminding us of his faithfulness and of his power in bringing the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So the Israelites had been slaves under a wicked Pharaoh. And this Pharaoh was intensely fearful and jealous as he saw these Hebrews becoming more and more fruitful. The Pharaoh described them as increasing abundantly, multiplying and growing exceedingly mighty, so the land was filled with them. Their fruitfulness was fearful to this earthly king. He saw power in their fruitfulness, and that is rightly so. Do you see power in your fruitfulness? Do you see the power to impact families and churches and nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, this Pharaoh made everything miserable and hard for the Israelites. They faced threats daily. They risked their lives. They lived in the shadow of this Pharaoh killing their children. Their lives were bitter. So remember that. It's a familiar truth for many of us, but remember that because now we're going to talk about how God raised up Moses to lead his people out of Egypt and how he protected them through the plagues and through the Passover and then was with them as they crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground. Okay, now let's fast forward just three days. And this is what we read in Exodus 15. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So God had this perfect record of providing for his children through the centuries. And yet the people doubted and complained. But even though they doubted, God still generously provided water to them. They were faithless, but he was faithful. And so even after this miraculous provision of water, the people once again turned right around and complained against Moses and Aaron. And this time, they were so hungry that they were certain that Moses had brought them out into the wilderness to starve them to death. But God was faithful, and he still cared for them. 
And this time, he provided for them this miraculous bread from heaven. And they didn't have to hunt for it. They didn't have to fear that there would be enough. God provided exactly what each family needed and then double on the Sabbath so that they could rest. And after all of this, we read in Numbers 11 that the people still complained. Why were they complaining? Because their appetites were not satisfied. This is what they said to Moses. Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. These freed people whose bellies were full of manna were recalling their enslaved days as if they were their glory days. But their appetites were lying to them and they were believing the lies. They were given heaven-sent bread. But they weren't thankful. They wanted more. They wanted something else. Now, the, the Israelites had appetites just like we do. And the Apostle Paul wrote about their example for our admonition. So that means it was given to us as a caution or a warning. And, you know, I know that we can learn so much from positive examples but sometimes those negative examples can be pretty powerful too. So I'm going to give you four things that I think the Israelites teach us as our example. And the first is, the Israelites teach us that we need to be thankful in all things. So we may be hungry, but we might be neglecting the very means of provision that God has given us because we don't have the eyes to see it. Maybe it's just not what we expected. You know, perhaps we wanted to go out to dinner with our husbands, and we had our hearts set on that. But then that dinner date was sabotaged by his job responsibilities. Or maybe we wanted to serve at church in a certain way, but we just weren't asked. Or maybe a loved one has sinned in horrible ways, and we can't imagine how something good could come out of that. But we are called to give thanks in all things to the giver of all good gifts. So whether it's a simple disappointment or whether it's a giant devastation, God is with you and he is good. He is your portion and he fully satisfies us. So may we be content if our husband makes an unwise decision. Or may we be content if we receive a fearful diagnosis for ourselves or for a loved one? May we be content when we have to adjust to that empty nest? May we be content when we're lonely or we're struggling in a relationship or a job? God's provision may be very different than what we expect, but that does not mean that he's not the perfect provider. Trust that God is orchestrating every detail of your life. He sees you. So cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And ask for his spirit to give you the power to respond with gratitude and not to complain when life goes differently than what you want. So the Israelites teach us that we need to be thankful and they also show us that we need to have eyes of faith. 
We need faith to see the future banquet. I'm sure that the Israelites couldn't have even imagined what it would like to be free. They were enslaved for centuries. But when they were finally free and the hard work of walking by faith arrived, they complained and they preferred what they knew by sight. They said, let us return to Egypt where we freely ate the meat, the cucumbers, the onions, the leeks. Now, ladies, let's talk about leeks for a moment, okay? I get it. They were used to leeks. You know, they were familiar, comfortable, reliable leeks. But are leeks really sustaining? So I did a quick Google search. Leeks' nutritional value, four calories. Leeks have zero grams of total fat and 0.8 grams of carbs. Leeks have only 0.1 gram of protein and 0% vitamins, except for 2% A and 1% C. Now, let's compare leeks with manna. I did not find manna on Google, okay? But according to God's word, this bread of heaven was designed to meet the Israelites' needs 100%. So living on leeks is like living by sight, what we see, what we know, what's familiar, what we have under our control. Living on leeks is the cheap substitute for the real deal that God has for you. And the Israelites thought that returning to slavery would be worth it if they could have some of that old familiar food instead of this freedom from this boring bread from heaven. So what might we be substituting for God's real deal? Is it a guy Is it self-worth that we get from a job or a ministry or a hobby because being at home with the kids is not fulfilling? Is it porn or fantasies because we're not content with our husbands or with being single and waiting? Could it be possible that we're even worshiping our husbands or our children in the place of worshiping God alone? Living like this, is like turning Proverbs 3, 5 inside out and saying instead, trust in myself and lean not on God's understanding. But I have a friend who calls that stinking thinking. (laughs) We need to throw out the stinky leaks and live by faith. We need to trust in God and lean not on our own understanding. So in addition to being thankful for all things and having the eyes of faith, The Israelites teach us the importance of remembering the truth about God in the wilderness. When our needs are not being met, it can be really easy to blame other people. People leave churches over this, marriages break up, friendships end. The Israelites thought that Moses was out to get them, to kill them in the wilderness. But Moses spoke truth to the Israelites in the midst of their unmet appetites. And he said, your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. When we have a hunger that isn't getting filled, be cautioned as you remember the Israelites' example. They knew that they were hungry and that they were thirsty. And they knew that that appetite needed to be filled. But they had tunnel vision. 
They thought that the God who had just three days earlier provided their miraculous escape from 400 years of slavery was the same God who was now apparently unable to provide food and water. But their greatest need was not food or water. It was having a right understanding of God himself. So how do you need to remember the truth about God? When I was at a very low point in a personal trial, I remember going out on a walk one morning, and I cried out to God on that walk, and I said, you are not here, and you are not good. But he kindly redirected my mind to truth. And he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You can never go anywhere where I will not be already be. He reminded me that he is my defender and my vindicator, and he is the God who sees. Reminding myself of those simple truths was foundational to me in my wilderness. So the Israelites teach us, even though it was through a negative example, to be grateful, to have eyes of faith, to have a right understanding of God, and finally, to recognize that all of our hunger points to Christ himself. And like I said, the Israelites were short-sighted. They could only think as far as their bellies. But Ligonier Ministries says it like this. God's provisions to the Israelites in the wilderness were means of grace that were precious and vital and meant for his children to receive more and more of Jesus himself. 1 Corinthians 10.4 says it plainly. The rock in which the Israelites were drinking from was Christ. All of God's provisions were tokens of Christ himself. So the Israelites were essentially unsatisfied with Christ. Now, when we are discontent or when we're unsatisfied with what we've been given, we usually think we just need something more. So if you fight a lot with your husband about money, you probably think you just need more money. Or if you're struggling with getting older, you probably think you just need more energy. Maybe you're overwhelmed by the responsibilities of your children, and you think you just need more time or more patience with them, more sleep or more arms. We think having this will satisfy me. Or being in a relationship with that person will bring me joy. Or if this would just happen, I would have peace. But this kind of thinking is called additive thinking. You know, you just need to add something to your life in order to be happy or content or satisfied. Jeremiah Burroughs was a Puritan, and he wrote this. A man comes to contentment not by adding more to his condition, but by rather subtracting from his desires, so as to make his desires and his circumstances even and equal. Now, you might think about that quote and and think, that sounds a little depressing. I mean, he's telling you to basically lower your desires until they meet your pitiful situation. But I have seen this ring true. And fill me with joy, not bring me to depression. When my daughter-in-law 
became pregnant last year, I didn't know if I would ever know my grandchild. At the time, I was not in a right relationship with her or my son. And so I took this great concern to the Lord. And during the course of my daughter-in-law's pregnancy, she and I began communicating by text, slowly but surely. And I was grateful for every single text and every ultrasound picture and for that baby shower invite. Because we were not yet reconciled, I expected nothing from them. The desire of my heart was to be in a right relationship with my son and daughter-in-law and to know my grandchild well. My desires did not wane as my expectations lowered, but rather as my expectations lowered, my gratitude just increased dramatically. So how do you need to subtract your desires to make them even and equal with your circumstances? Where do you think that you need to add, but maybe subtracting might actually bring about contentment and satisfaction? Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's the empty nest, stress at school, relationships with other people. Whether it be in want or in plenty, you can be content by subtracting your desires so that they are even and equal with your circumstances. Expect or demand nothing and be grateful for everything. Ladies, we are not entitled people. We're a people who have been given grace, and that's something we don't deserve. And when we have this mindset, thankfulness and contentment will abound. This was Paul's mentality. This was the persecuted pastor who was in confinement. That was his mentality. They knew the law of subtraction. When everything is taken away and we only have Jesus, then we can be truly content and truly thankful and fully satisfied. Living contented lives is to have a deep satisfaction with the will of God, with his will for our lives, not our wills. Well, because of COVID, every single one of us here have seen the power of God on a global scale. Only God could shut down all of our busyness. Only God could bring all of our families back to the dinner tables, right? And only he could quiet our schedules. And I'm sure that we could think of many good things that have happened this past year, but I have a feeling that every single woman in this room, myself included, complained about at least one thing. Trials make us more aware of our hunger, and they show us where there is no peace or contentment until we live satisfied in Christ alone. In August of 2019, I joined my husband Dave on a business trip to Denver. I had a lot of quiet time with the Lord during that trip. And while I was there, I wanted um, to be content with his plan for our family that was divided at the time. But I could not figure out how to get that, to that point of contentment. It was there in Denver where God showed me that he must be my only satisfaction. And he brought me to a place where 
I had to give up what I wanted most. And that was a unified family. He showed me, though, that I could be content in him, even though I was still grieving over the loss of that. But to get to that point of contentment, I had to give up something else, something that I was clinging to very tightly. And that was myself. In order for God to be my only satisfaction, I had to die to myself, to my wants, to my rights, and to my understanding. And in dying to myself and in being satisfied in him, God has done a resurrection work in my family. He has worked in my heart to consider others as better than myself. And he's given me such a joy to serve others, especially my family. Had I continued taking my relationship with my son and my daughter-in-law for granted, as I had years earlier, perhaps I wouldn't be as thrilled now when I see that grandbaby and her parents, and when they spend a holiday with us, or they come over for dinner. These are all things that many families take for granted, but I don't. These things are priceless treasures to me, and I am deeply thankful because I expect or demand nothing, and I am appreciative of everything. So if you want to be fully satisfied in Christ, you must die to yourself. Paul was a picture of this in Philippians 3. He could have demanded his rights. He sure had plenty of them, but he gave them all up counting them as loss or rubbish so that he might gain Christ. These stones over here on this table are symbols of God's work in my life. They're my memorial stones. Each stone represents something particular that God has done as he's grown me or done something special in my family as he's taught me things. But you know, that top stone, that's probably the ultimate one. It's like, it's like it brings all of God's work together as it lays on the top, like an altar, like a stone table. And as I created that and I thought about God's work in my life, I thought of Romans 12.1. By the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Ladies, the satisfaction solution is to sacrifice yourself. So I want us to have a heart check, a final heart check tonight or today as we are all together and as I'm wrapping up. And this heart check is really this question. How do you need to give yourself up so that you might gain Christ? Maybe your sins are quieter than mine. Instead of demanding your own way verbally, maybe you just sit and simmer and stew on those wrong things. Or maybe you quietly manipulate so you can get your own way. I don't know what it is that you need to give up, but when you give yourself up so that you may gain Christ then you will indeed finally be satisfied.
Well, one of the quotes that I wanted to share again with you was by Jeremiah Burroughs. He was a Puritan writer, and I think this is pretty intense of a quote. I think it's one of those quotes you might have to think about a while, but here it is. A man comes to contentment not by adding more to his condition, but rather by subtracting from his desires, so as to make his desires and his circumstances even and equal. Well, I don't know about you, but that really hit me. Whenever I'm going through a trial, which could be a really big trial or challenge like a health crisis, or it could be just something that I would say is kind of little, like a flat tire. It is so easy to think that if I just had more, I would be satisfied. If I just had something else, everything would be good. And then I would feel good about things and I would be at peace. But the reality is we can find satisfaction only and exclusively in Christ alone. Wendy said trials make us more aware of our hunger and show us that there is no peace or contentment until we live satisfied in Christ alone. I guess you and I probably should be more thankful for those trials. I wonder about you. Are you satisfied in Christ? Is Christ who you run to first when you're struggling, when you're having a bad day, when things are going well? Or is it your friends? Have you died to your rights, your plans, your desires for your life? And are you trusting God in his perfect plan for you. Hey, let me just pray for us today as we end this podcast episode. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we all, myself and all of my listeners, will hunger for you first. I pray that we will seek you every day in all the things we do, that we wouldn't just read something in the Bible in the morning and leave it there, but that we would live it out every day that we would seek you. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will convict me and the women listening who are not living for you, who are not finding our satisfaction with you. Give us strength to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, after today's episode, we are back on track, dropping episodes every Thursday until the end of March. I think you are going to continue to love this season all about relationships, so stay tuned. Hey, if you get a chance, run over to your favorite podcast directory and subscribe to it. Maybe even share this podcast on your social media so people can learn about it and find out about it. Hey, remember that when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God. Until next time.